When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Olegar! Olegar! Golazo! Is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Oh, goodly morning, Andrew. Very, very glad to have one. Me too. I'm going to start with a question. I know we do questions in part two, and we are, we are going to do questions in part two, but I feel like I need to ask this straight away, right? Yeah. What are we like? What? <laughs> what are we like? What? What? How? What? Why? Why? I don't know. I don't know why. I was going to say, I don't know why we do this to ourselves. I don't know why they do this to us. That's it's it. It's cruel. That's it. We're, we're the unwitting victims. We have these crimes perpetrated upon us. This stress, this emotional baggage that they make us carry around for, you know, the rest of our lives. I mean, we can talk mm. it out. It's cathartic. People can listen. It's cathartic. But you feel it. It's there. It's a weight. It's always with you, isn't it? It's always with you in every the, aspect of life. How, how many minutes were there between them equalising and us going back in front? Hang oh, on, let me it must be like 20, 20 or so. Yeah. yeah. And that was a bleak 20 minutes, let me tell you, especially on social media. I don't know if you were on social media, but, oh, it, things got dark well, in that period. I was doing the live blog and it was just... I was just trying to work out why. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? The extent to which this is mad is evident in the fact that we won a European game away from home, scored three fucking good goals. By any measure, by any standard, that is an incredible result. But the first thing that, that I'm thinking this morning when I'm talking to you when I was writing the blog was like, God, fuck. I mean, what what more can they do to make our lives so hard? <laughs> I know, I know. It was stressful. It was a stressful period. And it's a cumulative effect, isn't it? I think mm. had this happened in isolation, then I think maybe you'd be like, oh, you oh, know, I can compartmentalise that. But for it to be so similar to the goal, you know, that we gave away at Burnley, mm. such a similar type of mistake. And at the end of a long run in which we seem to be just repeatedly yeah. shooting ourselves in the foot. I mean, we are sort of oozying ourselves in the foot at this point. Cannons, literally. Yeah. Cannons. I mean, you know, everyone can make a mistake. We know that. But mm. if you make mistakes all the time, what's that? I mean, that's got to be... There's got to be a name for that. What? When they redid the Arsenal badge... Was there not some controversy because they turned the cannon the other way? 
And did we inadvertently <laughs> point the gun back at ourselves? Sorted out. The branding department, the logo department at Arsenal just sorted out. We need new kits, new logo. Just revert to the old one. Oh, anyway. It's, uh, it's stressful. But it, listen. It really is. It really there is, is good news. It is a good result. It's a great result. 3-1 away from home, three away goals. It is a great result, you know, and the goals were were fantastic and, and we started the game brightly and, and the positives, you know, are there in that, you know, we started brightly, we made chances. Okay, we didn't take the chances, been there, done that, worn that T-shirt plenty of times, scored a great goal, went ahead in control of the game, did the thing we do, which made everyone feel uh, unhappy and sad and worried and bleak and angry and all those kind of things. And then we finished the game strongly, which isn't something that we've been doing this season a great deal. So, you know, there's positives in that as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, where do we start with this one? Do we do we talk about the mistake and then talk about the good stuff? Do we talk about the good stuff and then talk about the mistake? I mean, it seems like we've started on the kind of mistake thing, so we should yeah. probably tease this out to to the fullest uh, extent. Let's let's do it. I mean, by the way, I've got to say there was a really funny sort of Freudian slip. We had Steve Sidwell on our commentary, yeah, yeah, I don't know if same, you did as well. Same. And there was a point where he was talking in the first half, this was, about Arsenal playing out from the back. Maybe it was after the David Luiz era, which, Mm. of course, was nearly uh, another concession of a goal from a mistake playing out from the back. But he said, you know, Mikel Arteta, he likes this risk over reward strategy. Uh, And I was like, (laughs) I mean, it's supposed to be risk, you know, risk versus reward, but it does feel like risk over reward with us sometimes. Yes, it does. So look, the the mistake that we made, um, we discussed the goal that we conceded against Burnley at the weekend and both of us uh, agreed that Burned Leno wasn't really culpable for it. It was on Granite Xhaka. It was his mistake, uh, Mm. you know, because of the way we were playing. How do you feel about Bernd Leno's role in this one? Because I'm not feeling quite as generous towards him. No, I'm not either. And funnily enough, um, I, we did uh, handbrake off my uh, adulterous podcast with The Athletic the other day. And I expected <laughs> Lee Dixon... No comment from Andrew. I expected <laughs> Lee Dixon to um, absolutely batter uh, Granite Xhaka to be quite honest with you and he said something very interesting where he was like for me I think it's a Leno error and he said the reason I believe that is because he actually makes he gives Xhaka the ball on his left foot which forces him to take a touch if he gives it to him on his right he can play it first time mm. um, which to- I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective yeah I'd have to watch it know. again just to I'd to, have to, to watch it again as well but yeah. I thought it was an interesting point on this one and I've not studied it in quite the intensity that I did the Shaq one because I had more fun re-watching the nice goals we scored. I felt Leno was substantially more culpable. What about you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the passage of play is quite interesting because I think it starts with an Arsenal throw and we go backwards. And then there's a moment where I wonder, Ceballos plays it backwards, goes to Louise, to Gabriel. And then to Xhaka, and he he sort of turns back inside, which blocks yeah. off the ability to play the pass out to Tierney, which I think is where he should have gone. But in this one, yeah, look, that's a that's a mistake by Leno. It's a, it's bad play by Ceballos. The decision making is is 
um, is poor there for sure. Louise is the pass for Leno, right? Yeah, I think right. so. I think so. And, you know, even if he really um, felt a bit worried about that one, I think it's possible he could have played it to Gabriel, who could who could easily have just hoofed it um, down the pitch if he'd wanted. So he did have a couple of options there. But he played it to a man uh, who was in trouble. I, I mean, did you watch Mikel Arteta after the game? Did you watch his interview on, on BT Sport? Not as uh, jolly as you might expect for a manager who's just won 3-1 away. Well, European, that was so. exactly it. I mean... Um, his face was that of thunder, really. Like, you know, I was looking at him going, ooh, I wouldn't like to make him cross at me or anything because mm. he looks angry. And like you say, for a guy who's led his team to a 3-1 away win, uh, you know, the kind of win that we were looking for uh, in this game, you know, he was really, really unhappy with um, with what he'd seen. Um, and I think that mistake obviously was was weighing heavily on on him and you know what he's asking the players to do and not for the first time he was asked about it you know but he talked about decision making and and knowing when to make uh, the right pass um, yeah so I, I do wonder who he had in mind um, for for the goal last night and for the goal against uh, Burnley as well yeah I mean Watching it back, it's not a great bit of play from Granite Xhaka, I think, in the yeah. build-up. I think he, you know, he, he he does go backwards and he doesn't exactly give it to Gabriel on his front foot. He makes him turn and face, turn and face his own keeper. Mm. But, you know, he's still pretty comfortable there. I, I think it is, it's Leno's decision-making. And I guess what's interesting about this, we always think about playing out from the back and we think about it from like a technical perspective. You know, can the player pass the ball well but actually it's the selection of pass that's almost more important right almost any professional mm. football a goalkeeper outfield player can play a 15 yard pass it's about being able to read what's in front of you yeah and you know interpret that and make the correct call yeah and maybe maybe we're seeing that leno has a, a way to go on that front yeah or maybe you know that that's a that's a flaw in his game um yeah, it could be. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's what, that's what I, I nearly said, but then I uh, I pulled back. I thought, you know, let's let's give him the opportunity. He, he seems to improve. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing is, still. yeah, Arteta's not going to change, or certainly isn't going to radically change the um, the way he wants his team to play. But until such time as he has the players to do it reliably, is there a need for him to perhaps? Um, well, I don't know. What do you do? I mean, do you compromise your principles in terms of the way you want to play for for practical reasons? Do you do you work harder on the training ground? I mean, I'm just watching uh, the video was the video was um, it had rolled on from the goal there. And there's a passage of play where literally just afterwards, <laughs> Shaka kind of nutmegs a guy. We have a throw in. Um, Shaka nutmegs a guy on the left-hand side to get himself out of trouble, then plays a pass to Willian. He's looking for passes. Plays a pass to Willian, who plays it directly to an Olympiacos player, and luckily the ball bounces our way. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know whether this is something that is, um, you know, when when we do this, it, it, it scrambles our brains or what. But, I mean, how do we... How do we deal with it now? Is there a, a case for, you know, um, on the training ground, going through some drills where, okay, if you don't see the perfect pass, or if you're unsure about the pass, 
you you go long if you're Bernd Leno or something like that. I I don't know. I mean, how how far can the manager bend? Um, you know, the way he wants to play to suit the players he has, or does he have to just keep doing it and upgrade on the players uh, who make these poor decisions? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, I think there have been games where he has bent the rules a little bit and he mm. has let Leno go a bit longer. And it's tended to be when Nicola Pepe's played. I think there was a game at Southampton, you know, where he used Pepe as the target aerially quite a lot and it was quite successful. And Leeds um, as well, wasn't Leeds, it? Leeds, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. But uh, I suppose without Pepe in the side, there's not an obvious outball. And I wouldn't even, you wouldn't even necessarily say Pepe's an obvious one, but he actually does okay at it. Yeah. But without that, I, and, you know, without maybe Lacazette, or I don't know where you're aiming those long kicks. So that's part of the issue. But I, I struggle with this because it's, you know, yes, it is the manager's style, but surely there has to be a role for kind of player initiative as well. You yeah. know, it, Leno's last two games, he's played a bit like he's going to be fined if he goes long. And I sort of think there has to be a degree to which there has to be a responsibility with the players to interpret the situation and not just adhere yeah. dogmatically to the rules, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's what Arteta was saying. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, as you say, has there been some pressure on Leno to to play in a certain way that that is impacting the decisions that he's making where he's reluctant to go long because he might get in trouble for want of a better word uh, from the manager I, I mean I don't know but maybe that's part of it maybe I mean I think there are opponents where Arteta really does seem to be absolutely insistent on this and I think clearly Burnley and Olympiacos were two of those um the issue is uh, Olympiacos had obviously watched the Burnley game, hadn't they? And, you know, when Sabaris gets that ball, he's got f- a box of players around him. Mm. It's like basically four players, three who are pretty close. Um, and, you know, we we walked into the trap, essentially. Yeah. We're not smart. We're not. And let's not forget, you know, we nearly give away another one in the first half, don't we? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, what is that? What is that? I mean, you're getting towards halftime. I mean... I'm sure Orbino has a stat somewhere about how many goals we concede just before halftime. There must be uh, in mm. in his <laughs> Doom Stats collection of Arsenal this season. But, you know, it, it's just unbelievable that an experienced player, like if he was a 19-year-old centre-half and he made that kind of mistake, you go, OK, well, it's not good. But, you know, he's a young guy. He's learning his trade, et cetera, et cetera. But this is basically the most experienced guy on the pitch Um, and it's a bad first touch that does him basically yeah you know Um, I mean I don't know what was I don't know what was in his head I don't know why he thought that was a good idea Uh, it it just it it beggars belief that that an experienced player in particular witnessing what happened against Burnley on Saturday would conspire to do something quite that idiotic mm. you know it's just I, I I don't get it. I don't get how it's hard to trust them, isn't it? You know, it really is hard course, to trust yeah. them. So it is. I, I mean, you know, it seems so banal to say, but my God, we've got to cut it out because it's going to, you know, like we say, we're just sort of shooting ourselves mm. in the foot time after time after mm. time. And, you know, we scored a few worldies last night that made the result look a lot more palatable but had we not done we would have been absolutely cursing that era for sure 
for sure. I mean, you know, if you can see just before halftime, you still have a half to go. But, you know, I think the other thing that, that uh, before we move on and let's talk about the good stuff, I think the other yeah. thing that we have to point out is that when we do this to ourselves, we we give the opposition so much and it takes so much away from us. You could literally see the life drain out of us and mm-hmm. into Olympiacos. Yeah. You know, we are, we are pushed on and scored again. Yeah, yeah, they could have scored another goal. So it's not simply that we give a goal away. It's that we, we shift the entire momentum of a game away from ourselves. Games that we've been in control of and all of a sudden we're having to, to work to scramble back. I mean, you think about what we did against Benfica, for example. Um, you know, we, we, we really make life a lot more difficult for ourselves and, and we're like a, a shot in the arm for, for the opposition, you know? Um, so yeah. it goes beyond just making those mistakes and it costing us a goal. It costs us a lot more because it takes time and effort to, to get the momentum back. Very true. And I suppose the only thing I can say about last night is there was a period a couple of weeks ago where it felt like every single thing we got wrong was punished in the most harsh way possible. Uh, at least we didn't get punished quite as harshly as perhaps we should have been for some of our defensive mistakes last night. That's your silver lining, is it? Yeah, that's my silver lining. <laughs> the luck's coming back round our way. But listen, let's let's uh, let's turn it around and focus on the good stuff because for you know the vast majority of this mm. game. We were good and the better side. Oh yeah, and create a lot of chances. I mean, yeah, they're a very ordinary side, very ordinary. And uh, you know, it's good that we started the game brightly. I mean, we'll talk about Odegaard's goal. I think he was having a difficult performance, really, uh, mm. until that time because um, you know he missed that early chance that Kieran Tierney set up for him. He scuffed it wide, and he really should be doing better there. Um, mm-hmm. There was a giveaway, I think, where he played the ball to an Olympiacos player. There was another one where I think he tried to play or Shaka played the ball to him and he was caught in his heels and, and things just weren't coming off for him. He was, was a having, bit of a, yeah. a grumpy exchange between him and Bellerin down on the right-hand side. I don't know if you remember that as no, well. I, I there was a misunderstanding. Oh, yes, yes. He gave it to Be- Like, he should have played the pass to Bellerin a lot earlier and by the uh, time he yeah. played it, Bellerin was offside, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, I agree with you about the early chance. To be honest, last night for me is the story of two tweets that I didn't send. And (laughs) the first one was after um, he missed his first chance, Erdegaard. And I drafted a tweet that said, a lot about Erdegaard reminds me uh, of Ozil. I've said that before. But unfortunately, one of those things is his shooting. Right? Right. Uh, I didn't send that. And it paid real dividends because he then absolutely leathered one in from 30 yards. Uh, there was one about Mohamed Nenny when he was about to come on where I said, he'll show you he's going to come on and score from 40 yards. Because tongue in cheek, I didn't of, of believe course. it happened. Of course. And I ultimately decided that both were going to invite so much trolling that they weren't worth it. But I'm glad <laughs> I didn't do it on the Odegaard one because, yeah, I, I, I he's had a few opportunities to shoot in games mm. I always think of that one at Aston Villa that he skied and this yeah. was from a similar position he also he's he sort of become the de facto guy who's when we get a free kick on the edge of the box he stood near it for a bit and then walks away well, <laughs> you know I mean? you like, know, rather him than David Luiz 
Yeah, true. But he's sort of always in the mix, but doesn't get a go. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you know, has he got this shot in his locker or not? Mm. And maybe a bit of the frustration of the game he was having played into the decision he took to take that shot on from that range. Oof. But wow, what Oof. hit. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely cracking shot. I mean, the goalkeeper was just, I think I said today on the blog that the goalkeeper was flapping at it like a, a guy driving down the motorway who realizes there's an angry wasp in the car with him. You know, he could, ah, try to get it, just could not get near it. I mean, you know, you could, I think if the shoe were on the other foot or if the gloves were on the other hands, you might look at your own goalkeeper and say, I uh, probably should do better there, but uh, oh, I, w- yeah. I want to give Odegaard the credit because it was a hell of a hit. Um, and I believe that makes him the first ever Norwegian to score for Arsenal. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Lovely. Yeah. Paul Lederson never got a goal. No. Uh, very possibly. But I think, um, what was I going to say? If that goal was scored in a World Cup, everyone would be complaining about the ball. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those where <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he hits it so well and it just flies all over the place. I agree, yeah. if Ospeed is in goal, I'm probably hammering him for that. But I do think it, it moves. Mm. Uh, it was. It, it's an unusual thing for the goalkeeper to be sort of facing his own net by the time the ball crosses yeah. the line. It was sort of like he was trying to perform a backward somersault or yeah, something. Yeah, he was but. spinning around, all right. Uh, but yeah, brilliant goal. Really, really, really good goal. And kind of what we needed, because we didn't make the most of the opportunities that we had. We've talked about Odegaard's one, but there was a, a really good chance for Aubameyang, a Bellerin cross. Uh, and I, I have to give the goalkeeper a, a lot save. of credit. That was a really good save. It was almost uh, a Socrates' own goal which would have been quite something, wouldn't it? It deflected off Socrates. The keeper made a very, very good save. Aubameyang had a free kick on target. Luis, to be fair to him, got the free kick on target. Mm. Um, But I think in doing so, he he drained his own resources so badly that he ended up (laughs) making that mistake towards the end of the first half. He concentrated so hard on that, just everything else went... Or he was just still thinking about it, you know, the 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 highlight of his Arsenal free kick taking career to date, an effort on target. I he, w- it was all he could think of, getting back to the dressing room and saying, "You see, you see, I can, I can test the goalkeeper." He didn't. Test um, it. I mean, he didn't test the goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree. There were some some decent opportunities. It was fantastic save from that deflected Aubameyang header, and uh, but we were in, we were. I thought we started the half. Well, you know, we yeah. played with a bit of urgency. I thought it was interesting to see both fullbacks playing very high um, and aggressively, yeah. which I don't think is always the case. You know, I feel like Tierney gets gets a more, lot more license to do that typically than Bellerin, but it felt like we were really going at them on uh, on both yeah. flanks. Agree, agree. Um, um, but yeah, obviously, you know, uh, we need we tried to give them an equaliser. Uh, just before half time, and then eventually managed to do it you yeah. know, 10 minutes into the second half. Yeah, I'm trying to think is there anything from the second half that we're missing before? Uh, I haven't got anything in my mind. I mean, notes. there was, there was a, an early substitution. Um, yes, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, uh, Partey off and Ceballos on, and Arteta said afterwards it was a tactical thing, you know, which managers say, so I, I don't, don't read that too much did. into it. I, I feel like it was a substitution. It was so early, it feels like it had to be sort of pre-planned. Do you know what I mean? That, Didn't we do it against Burnley as well? Well, I mean, much. he came off with about 12 minutes to go against Burnley. Uh, was so that was, you know, you're saving his legs a little bit there. But but at 55 minutes, that 
kind of feels like pre-planned. And I don't think Partey had uh, his best game by any stretch of the imagination, but he didn't no. look that happy coming off. And then, of course, you know, you put Ceballos on and within two minutes or three minutes, <laughs> they get their goal. So, he doesn't have a great time in this stadium, though, Ceballos, does he? He won't be now, joining Olympiacos anytime soon. <laughs> no. I don't um, think so. Uh, you know, so that was, you know, I was looking at it and I was thinking, okay, you know, okay, you're throwing on Ceballos for party. Okay, I kind of get it. Maybe, uh, and more than likely, you've got the, the derby in mind for that. Um, but then I was looking at what was what else was happening and, you know, I thought Saka was quiet and maybe we could have made a change a little bit before we did with regards to him. I was looking maybe for um, for Pepe to come on for, for Saka uh, again yeah, with half an eye on Saka, the... by the way. Yeah, go on. I, I just think in the last couple of games, you know, we've said, oh, he's been playing and playing and playing and will it ever catch up with him? And I just wonder if in the last two games we have seen it slightly catch up with him. I think so. And I think, you know, it'd be worth pointing out that he has taken over the last few weeks a hell of a kicking from mm. various opponents. Like he is being targeted time and time and time again with fouls. And I do wonder if that's um, perhaps a, a factor. Um, you know, maybe he's carrying a few little aches or strains or little sore bits. And, and you know, there's there's... One reaction to being fouled all the time is to get up and show them what you can do and, and produce something as a fuck you. But another one is like it could possibly get tiring and uh, hurt you and it has an impact on the way that you play. And I would I be surprised? I wouldn't be hugely surprised if he didn't start the derby. No, I know what I no, would I? Which seems crazy. Mm. I know. He's I know. Yeah, player. yeah. I know. I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, uh, if, if everyone's fully fit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but just in the circumstances, I, I have a sneaky feeling that that maybe he won't. Well, it is a part of the pitch we do have options in, especially with Emma Smith Rowe coming back mm. from injury. I mean, you talk about maybe wanting to see an earlier substitution in that area in Smith Rowe and Nicola Pepe. You know, you've got a couple of quite exciting options to come on there. Yeah. Um, so I, I also was a little bit surprised that didn't happen sooner. Yeah. I mean, after we went behind then, having let in that goal, were you... I mean, again, it's another... Went level. Went level, let's remember. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, it felt like we'd got Yeah, behind. sorry. <laughs> it did, though. That's what those goals do to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's weird, isn't it? Because, like, do you know what? 1-1 one, one in an away leg, it wouldn't have been a catastrophic result, but the nature of it, mm. it would have felt so horrendous. Yeah, and like 2-1 is better than 1-0. Yeah, yeah I, that is, was interesting. Martin Keown before the game was like, 1-0 one, one is ideal for Arsenal. And I was like, well, no, 10-0 is ideal. Yeah, yeah. 1-0 is not ideal, but 2-1 is a better better win than than 1-0. You know? Yeah, any any you know amount of goals we score mm. more than one. Is, is is good. Yeah, I mean, 2-0 is obviously better. And 3-0 is, is even better. If we could manage the 0 2-1 is good. better than 1-0 as, yeah. as well. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see. I know. I, I agree with you. I agree with Way you. But I, I'm just wondering um, what you thought of that period of time between their goal and... I'm not going to say the goal came out of nothing from our perspective, but it was from a, from a corner. Um 
so it wasn't like we were piling on the pressure, et cetera, et cetera. To me, it, you know, I saw the, 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 the cameras cut at one point that could have been a throw-in or something like that, and I could see El Nenny getting ready on the sideline. I was going, El, yeah, El Nenny? Re- really? You know, I drafted my tweet, Andrew. Yeah. I was, I, I was, I was, I was all gearing up for another Mikel Arteta substitutions conversation at that point. Well, I mean, I think it's still kind of a conversation because, um, you know, it was the eighty-first minute by the time we got those subs on, and we 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 went ahead with a, a great header from Gabriel from yeah. from the corner, and I think it was a short corner, and then Willian crossed it, and it's a brilliant, brilliant header from from Gabriel. Um, really, Thank God powerful. that didn't get ruled out. I was, you know. I know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have been furious. Um, but you know, the El Nani change when it came with Smith Rowe and Pepe, okay. I get it. Uh, and I, I think uh, Elliot uh, Yankee Gunner did a tweet which, um, you know, uh, came back back to not bite him in the arse, but it was one of those. Uh, oh, really? When, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those who was like, I can't believe Arteta is putting on El Nenny and we're just trying to hold up. And this is, you know, whatever it was. He was like not happy with the El Nenny situation. And then, of course, he scores that goal and everyone's going, ha ha, delete your life, etc. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Because we all saw that coming, obviously. Oh, yeah, all yeah, knew. yeah. All the El Nenny maniacs uh, out there. That's what Arteta brought him on for. I, I did like that he was like, you know, he's been working on that in training with Steve Rowley. And I was like, you can't bring on El Nenny and be like, yeah, I thought what would happen is that he'd bang Hang it on, in. Did he say months. that? Yeah, he said he'd, Steve, he's been practising his long-range shooting with Steve Rowley. Steve Round. Steve Round, sorry, yeah. yeah. Who's Steve Rowley? He was the former scout. Chief Scout, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so <laughs> St- we've got to credit Steve Round, I guess, for yesterday's result. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, listen, it was fascinating because, A, I forgot we could make that many subs. I don't know about you. But no, no, I, I knew. I knew we could make knew. five, oh, yeah, right, okay. yeah. I was waiting. Uh, well, me, the professional journalist, had forgotten. And it, it does make a big difference. Um, and, and actually, in that last 10 minutes... We could have scored more. I mean, we looked fresh and we looked like we knew they were there for the taking. Mm. Now, had we done that 10 minutes earlier, who knows? Mm. Maybe we would be even more comfortable. I, I agree those changes could have come sooner. They could have come sooner, but I suppose in the in the, the way that it played out... Um, you can't, yeah. You can't, you can't argue too much because, okay, we went ahead. The Gabriel goal is fucking brilliant. I love that header. And then El Neni does what El Neni does sometimes... In Europe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, all of his goals have been absolute belters. Um, I I remember being in the the camp now for the the goal against Barcelona. His first Arsenal goal. Yeah, his first Arsenal goal. It was brilliant, but it was pissing rain that night. It was the most miserable fucking game of football uh, ever. But there you go. Uh, Good times were had By the way, a quick quick thing uh, on the Gabriel head. I just think it's probably worthy of a bit more comment. There's quite a funny... Thing, if you watch as Willian sort of loops the cross in, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not convinced that he. I don't know. Maybe he is looking for Gabriel, but basically, Abemiang starts peeling away towards the back post, which is like a really classic spot for him. You know, he, he's oh, made a few volleys from that. Yeah, position. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking. And it's at quite it funny. Now. He's sort of he's jogging backwards as if like, yeah, I'm just gonna get on this, and then from nowhere, Gabriel like launches into picture, <laughs> and Aubameyang just sort of keeps jogging backwards. Like, don't mind me. I was never gonna get it. Um, it's just a sort of nice little detail, but it's an unbelievable header. It yeah. really is. I'm just gonna We've watch not it had here a, again. 
Yeah. He just moves towards it, Aubameyang, and then it, and then Gabriel absolutely storms in and takes it, and it's it's a sensational header. Oh, We're not it really sco- is fucking yeah. good. Yeah, I love a good top corner header like that. He's not scored a headed goal like that, I wouldn't think, since... I can't remember one, certainly since the days of Giroud. Um, it is a brilliant, brilliant goal. I mean, goal. he did score a header against Wolves, didn't he, Gabriel? It wasn't too bad. Yeah, was that well, not, a, not quite as emphatic, I don't think. A Willian Cross. As, as it was well. from a yeah. Willian Cross. I mean... Uh, the assist then, king, uh, Willian? The assist king, he's, I, <laughs> I think I saw this morning, he's got more assists than any Arsenal player this season. Seven. It is um, mad, isn't it? Yeah. It, it does feel weird that we should we should counter it by saying he's also scored no goals. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I think yeah, for yeah. balance, like listen, he's doing better, and uh, no question, that's good. no that's question, good to see. And he and he can deliver a cross. He's always been able to deliver a cross. Mm. But um, you know that look without going into the nuts and bolts of it, he is doing better. I'm I'm uh, quite happy to give him credit for that. But, um, you know, that goal is mostly Gabriel. You know, his desire, his timing, his his work rate, uh, you know, the technical quality he has to, to put that header exactly where it needs to go. You know, it's, it's kind of all on him. It is, you know, I don't want people, people are going to give out to me for this by saying it's not really a Willian assist. It is a Willian assist, but I think most of the credit has to go to the uh, to the goal scorer. Similarly with Aubameyang at the weekend, Willian is credited with an assist for the goal against Burnley, but, you know, it's a simple pass to his left. And then the striker goes on and does pretty much all the work, you know. So it's one of those things where, look, statistically, he's top of the charts and good luck to him for that. But... Um, you know, I just find it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I like using stats and I think stats are very, very useful, um, you know, to round out your picture of something or mm. your understanding of something. But it's also, I think this is one of those where where the stats are better than what your eyes are telling you. You know that way? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I do think inevitably... I wonder if we'd caveat it so much if it was a player that we liked more. Do you know what I mean? I I agree. I agree. I completely agree. I'm not saying with Mesut Ozil, for example. I don't remember when he was racking up like 15 assists, people being like, yeah, but how many were actually assists? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's it's kind of similar to the Ozil thing in that, you know, when he... uh, We could all see that he was not the player he was. For, for quite some time, right? Yeah. But there yeah. were still all these stats about how he created the most chances. But mm-hmm. we could see that the player was fading badly. Mm. You know, so there is this eyes versus stats thing going on. I absolutely take your point about Willian. If it was a player we liked more, you know, maybe we wouldn't have this discussion. But, you know, the reality is he was stinking the place out for half the season. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a talking point. I'm glad he's doing better. It's good for the team that he's doing better. Keep it up, all the rest. Um, but there you go. Anyway, enough enough time spent on that. So what you're saying is you love William. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I'm just going to uh, wind forward here, and yeah. uh, can we can we talk about the? Uh, That's the end of part one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just. I just want to talk about the. Is it is it Granite Xhaka who gets the assist for Mohamed El Neni's goal? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's have a look. I uh, I haven't checked that one out. Um, Let's have a look. Shaka. 
Do you know what? It's Gabriel. It's Gabriel. Gabriel. Wow. Goal what a game assist. he had. I mean, look, he a goal and assist. Brilliant. Should we play him up front? Put him, he put it on a plate for Elneny, didn't he? Absolutely. Just laid us <laughs> tap in in the end for Elneny. <laughs> Who set up Odegaard? That's what we need to know. I mean, the vision they Partey. showed. I think it was Thomas Partey played a pass oh, to, to Odegaard for that. So There you go. There you go. So, uh, so all in all, a good night's work. A really Arsenal. good result. Mostly. Yeah. A really good result. A really good win, really good goals. It's a great lead to take into the second leg. It's a good uh, confidence boost, if you like, uh, assuming we can focus on the positives, going into a North London derby to go away from home and to win, you know, score three goals, create lots of chances. It is really good. It is good. And I just I just wonder what the uh, the conversation is going to be on the training ground this week because, you know, like we said earlier, Arteta did not look like a happy man afterwards. No. And that will be interesting. Mm. I'm trying to think what we did against Spurs in the away game. Uh, lost. Well, we lost and had all the ball, basically. <laughs> we, we, I think uh, we might have a question about... Um, the Spurs game and what have you in, okay. in part two. Yeah. So will we... Because it's a big, big game. I mean, you Oof. know, it's... It sure is. Yeah. Okay, let's take a little break. Uh, we've come to the end of part one. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Before I let you ask the first question, James, I did like this from Gimpo, who's at Mr. Gimpson on Twitter, and he said, should a golden dunce's hat be established alongside the golden boots so at least we can win one thing this year? <laughs> yeah, we'd be the front runners for oh, sure. Yeah, every year, every year. I think maybe it should just be like a golden David Luiz wig, you know, that the player has to wear for the following year. And if it's unless it's David Luiz, in which case 
he just sprays his hair gold. Yeah, didn't, don't a lot of uh, football clubs do that? Like, if you make the mistake in training, you have to wear the, the, the orange bib or something like that. Um, yeah. Making them wear I the, the Louise wig. You, do you remember there was the thing about uh, the Wheel of Fortune at Arsenal? Uh, Mikel Arteta's Wheel of Fortune. And if a player got something wrong or was late, they had to spin the wheel and there were various punishments, like clean the captain's car. Hang on, hang on, like hang on, hang on, hang on. Have I woken up in a different universe? What the fuck no. is this? Seriously? This is real. As reported by the at the Athletic UK. Mikel Arteta, um, Wheel of Fortune. I'm this Googling is this. Mikel Arteta has created a Wheel of Fortune for... How has this passed me by? We should have played this as like a game show. You know, we should have played Mikel Arteta's Wheel of Fortune. That's how he makes his substitutes, I understand. <laughs> wow. I mean, I get like... No, I don't get it. <laughs> it was it was like a morale thing, you know, in, sure. in, when he first came in. I think it probably... I imagine it might have come from Steve Round, just because I know that he's quite big on the cultural stuff. Um, but it was cultural like... Cultural you know, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love that this is culture. This is the Wheel of Fortune. I mean, what other game shows are we going to I don't introduce? mean cultural, like, <laughs> taking them to a museum. I know, I know, I know. But, like, <laughs> I know the, cult, I mean, it, the culture inside the club. I get it, I get it. But I'm just... They also to... do, like, Mr. and Mrs. No, I don't know. But they... Um, Countdown. Anyway, what I heard, the reason I talk about this, is that um, a lot of the kinds of things they were doing as like forfeits are no longer possible in a kind of COVID yeah. lockdown environment. So maybe some sort of dunce hat could be introduced, but I guess it would have to be heavily um, cleaned between wearings. You just have to have disposable dunce's hat. Maybe we could get a job lot, you know, uh, save ourselves some money, buy in That's bulk. That's true. Just get like loads of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just dump it all in the ocean for the whales to For drink. sure. For um, sure. Anyway, we better get on to What it. was the question? I can't remember. Uh, that was, No, that was it. It was about the golden dunces. I was going to let you ask the first question, but um, I, I could ask one if you want. No, I've got one. It's a very okay. simple one, actually. It's from Blade uh, the Vampire on the Discord. Uh, and Blade <laughs> asks, whose goal was best? All were great goals, but who really made you get up off the sofa? Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel for me, like you know, as a as a centre half who loved a good header every now and again. I know how difficult that goal is. Like the Elneny goal, the Odegaard goal, taking nothing away from the execution, but kicking a ball really hard at the goal is something most players can do mm. not always with those results of course uh, but I think the the way Gabriel just appeared you know flying through the air and then heading it back across into the top corner oh, just brilliant brilliant I mean that was I, I love the Odegaard goal um, but that one was the one for me what about you uh, so I think Gabriel's goal was the best but if well, I that's, had that's to... That's what you said. Which one was the best? I know, but in terms of like which one spoke to me most, I would choose Odegaard. because uh, I'm a lefty, left footer, I think. Left footers, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I just got a soft spot for a left footer. And uh, I, I was thinking, actually, 
Can you remember a first Arsenal goal that's better than that? Mm, there must be loads, actually. I'm not saying there are loads of goals that are better than that. Um, Henri against Southampton was a very good goal. Bergkamp against day. Southampton was a really good goal as well. That was his second, though, wasn't it? On the day, oh, I think. I can't remember. The, the one that he smashes in off the yeah, post yeah. that you sort of can't quite see how it goes in from the normal angle. I think that was his second. I don't know. But maybe there are loads, but I couldn't think of... I couldn't think of many. Thomas Vermaelen, did he not, like... Score a ridiculous long range he effort. 30 for his... goals that season, actually. Yeah. He won the golden boot. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as I recall. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were all great goals. They were all great goals. Okay. Uh, Tom, who's at Tom Stebbs on Twitter, says that's nine in a row without a clean sheet. How many of the goals in that time came from our own stupidity as opposed to actual quality play from the opposition? I think you could make a case of probably all of them to some extent. We could probably look that up, couldn't we? We I I saw a stat which said, oh, it comes, yeah, I have it here. Um, It comes from, it doesn't come from him, but uh, Suhel Parmar, who's at S Parmar 1105, says, goodly morning, I guess. Uh, It is a goodly morning. We won. He said, did you see the stat of seven of 14 goals Arsenal conceded this year? This year, I assume 2021 are due to individual errors. So that's 50% of all the goals we've let in are down to individual errors. Do you know what's weird? Before that, we had a run of five clean sheets for yeah. six games. And we were thinking, ooh, maybe we're onto something we're here. We're onto something, yeah. But maybe that's the aberration. Maybe it's all because they took the Wheel of Fortune away. Could be. Players are protesting and saying, bring me the Wheel of Fortune Presented by John Leslie. Uh, <laughs> I want to clean a toilet with a toothbrush. <laughs> I can't play properly. I can't defend properly. How can I'm... you expect us to perform if we don't have the threat dangling over us of scrubbing a toilet basin with our toothbrush, teeth, toothbrushes? I don't know. I don't know. Either. I mean, all the goals. I mean, look, I'm having a look now. Wolverhampton Wanderers. We know what happened there. Um... We gave the penalty... Um, it was a bit Jamutinho. That wasn't our fault, I think. Yeah, I think we could have closed him down, though. Could have closed him down a bit. Listen, but that's not all, an individual there's error. An, there's an error in any goal. Yeah, yeah. But that that one, I think, fair enough. Aston Villa, oh. we gave them that one. Yeah. So that's two out of three. Leeds United, they scored twice. Um, trying to remember the goals. One of them was a good goal. Yeah, I think they were reasonable goals. Header from Struik and then Helder Costa. I think they were mm. fairly reasonable, as I recall. So, mm. okay, two from four, two from five were our fault. Benfica, yeah. uh, we gave a penalty away, so that was very much our fault. Well, that was the Smith Rowe one. I think that was really harsh. I don't know that you could call that an individual error. Oh, yeah, error. okay, okay, okay. Um, the the Ceballos City. one... Yeah, that's the second leg. Yeah. That's the second leg. I mean, plenty of them, at least half, have been our fault. Too many. Too many. Um, Yeah, yeah. We are scoring more goals. That's what I would say. You know, if we got three last night, three at Leicester, three against Benfica in the second leg, four against Leeds United, we are being a bit more productive, at least. 
in the, in the other end of the pitch. Well, yeah, I mean, if this was November, 18 December. 18 shots yesterday. 18. Yeah. That's good. It is good. It's good. I mean, there are, there are things that are positive about what's happening. And, you know, again, it's really difficult to convince people that you're on the right track and that, what did he say, that this project is going to go bang. Oh, you know, it's really difficult to convince that, them. Uh, that I think I saw. <laughs> I think I saw a tweet from Ian Stone that said that really could come back to haunt you as a phrase. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, if things go wrong, you could just see all the introductions to pieces being like Mikel Arteta famously said that one day this project would go bang. He did not imagine it would implode like this. Yeah. I hope not. Obviously, yeah, yeah but, sure. Um, do, do, uh, do, do implosions bang? I mean, explosions I bang, but do implosions not kind of go... Yeah, that kind of maybe. I don't know. What noise does a black hole make? We're not sure. I think... That, imagine if the scientists were listening and that's what they get. <laughs> They'll be absolutely furious. That'd be fucking um, terrible. Think of like, oh, all the science we're going to learn. Well, also, because once you're stuck in one, I don't think you can get out. But do you not just, end up? Do you not end up the other side? Back in time, oh, Planet of the Apes, isn't it? Yeah, or fucking Interstellar. Was that not a black oh. hole? That fucking movie, Jesus well, the Christ! Movie's a black hole. Yeah. Fucking hell! Three hours of watching a guy travel through space and time, and he ends up behind his own fucking bookcase. Fuck off. Anyway, if Phil Collins wrote a film, <laughs> it would be, it would be that. Um. I've got a question that okay. I think is good. Good. It's not by me. All I right. think it's interesting. Hogwash323 on Twitter. Have we forgotten what good actually is? And he then clarifies. There seems to be a belief that every time we dominate, we should score two or three goals and we should not have lulls in the game. Even the best teams waste dominance and drop their performance level at times. I mean... I think sometimes there is an uh, an expectation that oh, how do I put this? Like everything is so analyzed these days that yeah. they're they're yeah you can lose sight of uh, the good things that you do in a game. But I think it in part it's, it is a consequence of us doing the things that we do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that we get so frustrated when we don't make the most of dominance because we know that uh, the, the, the gun is out. It's cocked and loaded. Locked and loaded? Mm. Cocked and loaded. Do you cock a gun? Cock a pistol anyway, don't you? And it's pointed yeah. right at our foot. So we know that if we don't do something good in the moments when we're good, it could very well come back to uh, bite us in the arse and also blow our toes off. So I think we're slightly conditioned or traumatized by by what they've done to us in some ways but i also think that's a fair point that you cannot realistically dominate a game for 90 minutes the best arsenal teams didn't really do that what they no. could do was dominate obliterate and then control you know what i mean well, you think about the yeah. think about the invincibles when they go oh, i'm thinking about a game against maybe middlesbrough and they go and score like four goals in the first 20 minutes and then just play. Just mm. like control the game, have no worries whatsoever. But also there were games when the Invincibles 
won or drew by very, very, very tight margins. Really mm-hmm. tight margins. Single goal wins. Uh, you know, scraping a draw in a couple of games, um, mm-hmm. you know, to keep that unbeaten record. So I think there is perhaps a, a, an idea that um, when we were good, we were just, we were only good. And I don't think that's realistic either. Um, so to answer the question, uh, maybe? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because you know, we're so focused on Arsenal that I think to an extent we... We analyse their games almost in a vacuum. Mm. You know, we we don't think about the fact that almost nobody has completely competent, controlled performances. Maybe this season Manchester City are dominating games sometimes, kind of start to finish. But you know, we do sometimes get as a fan base exercised about the seven minutes at the end of the half where we lost our way, and it's mm. like that is going to happen. That's football, but. I think the point you make about the Invincibles is a really salient one, which is you don't have to dominate if you're in front. Mm. And actually, if you're in front, sometimes it doesn't make sense to dominate. You know, sometimes you can take your foot off the gas and look to hit someone on the break. Yeah. Sort of game state is kind of, is almost everything. Um, and, and I think if I could have anything for this Arsenal team, if I could kind of give them any superpower, it would be take the lead in games take the lead because then you're in control <laughs> well um, we, we took the lead last night and we were in control and we took the lead against Burnley and we were in control so maybe the the thing you might want to give them true. is to is to consolidate take the lead then consolidate the lead and then if you make a mistake it's not quite as fatal yeah yeah it, it is interesting because I sort of think um it also depends what your expectations are. Like you can analyse mm. this Arsenal team and compare them to the Invincibles and say that's the level we want to get to, and therefore that's kind of how we should the prism we should see them through and what we should demand. Mm. But you have to offset that with how unrealistic that is yeah. at this point in time. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think it's natural as fans we want our team to be good from the first minute to the ninetieth and to take every chance and not give it away any, of course. But it's just not feasible. What is feasible, presumably, is not passing the ball to our opponents in our own penalty box. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a relatively simple thing to sort out. Mm. I think I should change what I said and say, just make it, can, can that be our thing that we don't do? Rather than taking the lead. Forget taking the lead. Let's just not give the ball to the opponents 10 yards out from goal. I mean, I feel like I feel like they could do that potentially. You know, there's there's a way of of that happening. I don't know, Andrew. I don't know if you've watched our games. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have, I have, and I am I'm traumatized by them. Um, let me ask you this one then. Yes. From well, I can't pronounce the. It's in brackets, Gooner, but I can't pronounce the first bit. Um, but he's at. The underscore Arsenal or Arsenal 01. And he says there was, there was a lot of talk about Pepe being rested against Burnley for this game. Yet again, he was on the bench. Is he not um, in Arteta's plans? Should the club sell him in the summer? And I think that's what we said on Monday. You certainly said you were hoping that the reason that was he, wasn't, he wasn't in the team against Burnley was because he was going to be unleashed against Olympiacos and he got nine minutes at the end. So... 
there was another question uh, on the Discord from... Uh, I've got to make the font bigger. Um, Amir Mim 11. Um, and he was asking a similar kind of question, but uh, based around Arteta's preference of Willian over Pepe and whether this was, you know, to do with prioritizing a signing that he was more involved in, etc., etc. So I don't necessarily want to make it a, a, a Willian discussion or a Willian versus Pepe discussion. But if you want to uh, use that um, to, to talk about it, uh, feel free. But I mean, what, what do you make of the Pepe thing? Is he being rested for the North London Derby? Is that why? What we need to know is how many of Pepe's assists were actually assists. That's what. <laughs> that's that's the only way we can settle this. I think uh, I was surprised actually that Pepe didn't play. But were you? I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You're I was a little of, bit right. I was a little bit. He, I, I thought he was probably our best player against Burnley, despite missing yeah two two chances. Um. I thought he was our most dangerous player. I think there is a sort of, there is a kind of tactical justification, which is that you know the way that the team played in the four two win over Leeds, where Arteta kind of changed mm. everything up. I think he does like, and he did it against Benfica. He does like the idea of a Bamiang up top, and then three players behind who are kind of midfielders you'd, you'd call them midfielders rather than forwards you yeah. know whether it's Smith Rowe Odegaard Saka Willian and I think he does class Pepe almost as a, a forward um, and, and, you know when we've seen him play on that left hand side he's basically been playing it the way Aubameyang plays it you know drifting into yeah. central spots getting in the box I, personally I, I like that I like having a second goal scorer on the pitch and someone else who takes up really good positions and is a natural finisher um, that appeals to me but I think Arteta for whatever reason seems to like something about this chemistry um, and he sees Willian as more interchangeable with the likes of Smith Rowe than he does Pepe mm. now I in answer to the question I don't think Pepe should be sold actually I, I sort of think there's been enough progress with him that I think we should be leaning into that and trying to turn him into the player he might be. I, I can't get away from the fact that I do think there is a fundamental kind of lack of conviction from the manager in the player. Is it? Yeah, I mean, is it a lack of conviction or is it a an incompatibility between the player and the way? Well, or is it conviction? Yeah. yeah. Does he yeah. know exactly what he thinks? I mean, it's, it's it's a difficult one to unpick and I actually don't know the answer to this, but because everything he says, he says all the right things, Reed Pepe, mm. you know? But actions do speak louder than words and I thought he would play last night. Mm. I really, really did. What do you make of it all? I, I just, I, I sort of think he thinks... Pepe doesn't quite fit into what he wants. And like you say, in, in recent weeks, we have been scoring more goals. Like, I'm never going to advocate for, for Willian. Just not a player that I enjoy watching in an Arsenal shirt. 
It will never be. I can acknowledge his his recent improvement in form, but he's just never going to be a player that I particularly enjoy. Uh, I would prefer to see Nicolas Pepe in the team than Willian, but I guess if what the manager wants and what I want, obviously, and what other people want are, are very different things. And if he feels like Willian is the better fit for his system... I don't know quite where that leaves Pepe beyond being a seventy-two million pound super sub. Well, I think I was watching Man City the other day, and I was thinking about how they have players who are sort of very clearly schooled on structure and mm. you know intricate team play. But I kind of think every team requires a joker in the pack. And I think for them, it's Riyad Mahrez. I think he is kind of an individualist mm. in a in a team setup, and he's a sensational player, by the way, talent wise. He scored a couple of goals the other night. I, you know, I don't think many in that six squad. I mean, they've got a lot of good players, but he 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 as an individual sort of skill player, he is sensational. And I do feel that Pepe is the 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 equivalent at Arsenal. And it means, unfortunately, that he'll kind of always have, maybe under Arteta, a slightly restricted, limited role, that he'll be deployed in certain games or certain scenarios. But I'm not sure he's ever going to be the go-to guy. Um, I mean, does that not... Is that not in some ways counterproductive? Because what you're asking from that player is to produce without being given the kind of leeway and and playing time that other players get. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, I don't want to say unfair, but it's a lot to ask of a player to, okay, we need you to do something now. Come on for 20 minutes and do it. Well, yeah. And it's not like he's been, you know, rotated out for Bernardo Silva or Phil Foden, is it? You know, it's, it's, um, you know, he's not playing in as good a team as that. And I think Pepe as well is the kind of player who, when he's good, he's a fan favourite player, isn't he? Because mm. he's skillful, he's exciting, he makes things happen. We want to see him. Um, and, you know, I, I can think of Arsenal managers previously who I think would have absolutely uh, relished having a, a talent like that at their disposal, particularly Arsene Wenger. But, yeah, I, I'm just not sure Arteta is of that mind. Mm. But but it doesn't lead me to say, you know, a few months ago, I really thought the right was on the wolf, Pepe at Arsenal. I thought he was absolutely done. I think we've seen enough, A, enough sort of use of him by Arteta and enough signs from Pepe of him really getting and understanding the system. I mean, mm. yesterday, even in the eight minutes on the field, I thought it was very, very good. And there was one instance where he had, he was frustrated. He hadn't got a pass, maybe from Lacazette. But about 30 seconds later, he absolutely haired back and won the ball mm. um, off one of their defenders. And I thought, yeah, I mean, that's what he's added to his game, that he just wasn't really doing to the same extent last season. <laughs> it feels like he's doing everything that could be asked of him. Yeah, I think that's uh, very fair. Like all the things, maybe the concerns that, that you know managers had about him and his defensive work and everything else, I think he is doing pretty much everything that could be asked of him. I know he missed that chance against Burnley. Stick that in the net, and and it's a different uh, it's a different story, you know. But uh, yeah, it's I just so does don't he play at Spurs. I mean, that was the one of the questions. Does he play at Spurs? 
Do you expect him to? I think you if can't you're going... expect him to ever. I don't think because you never know. Do you yeah, know what I mean? That's but exactly it. But I mean, I think I've my, my lesson, my sneaky feeling about you know Saka and Spurs would be a start for Pepe against Spurs, like for like almost on the Kinda, right hand side. Yeah, you know, and then you're you you have Saka as something to bring on if you, if you if you need to, you know. Um. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be averse to him starting that particular game I mean Mark Morrow seeing as we're on the the yeah. subject Mark Morrow who's at Monty Mark says how do you think we should approach the North London Derby they'll want us to press them high up the pitch and hope that this will play into their hands should that be the strategy or should we try something different we know Mourinho's side like to uh, to counterattack. I mean could it possibly be that they've they'll look at us and think that actually if we press them a bit we could force them into the kind of mistakes that, you know, their their good players uh, could capitalize on. I mean, might our defensive instability in some way make them a little more expansive, thus making the game a bit more open than it usually is? Maybe. I mean, Spurs have found something, haven't they, going forward? Well, they've found Gareth Bale. Um, yeah, and they already had Kane and Son as well, so, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Kane and Son had sort of run dry a little bit, but the introduction of Bale mm. has kind of breathed new life into all of that, all three of those players. So they look uh, dangerous. They will be really dangerous, particularly on the counter-attack. I'll be fascinated to see how we tackle Kane. You know, I felt, if you remember the way they scored their Hopefully goals. at knee height with our studs. <laughs> Yeah, that would be nice. I was going to ask you, you know, what if Willian like, took out Harry Kane at the weekend? Hero. Hero. Right. Statue. Yeah. Name on the back of the shirt. Yeah, I, steady um, on, steady on. <laughs> I, um, I feel like we didn't, we didn't sort of uh, get close enough to him and we let Spurs play off him way too much. And I'm really interested to see who Arteta gives that job to. Yeah, Um, that's a really interesting one because Gabriel, I thought, had a very good game last night. I thought he had a really good game. Um, You know, aside from the goal, I thought he played well. It was interesting um, to watch during the Man City game after we had weathered, not weathered, because obviously we went behind in the second fucking minute or whatever it was, but once we'd come to terms with what City were doing, we pushed Pablo Marie into really high positions, some quite strange positions too, Yeah. Um, during that game. And I wonder if he might be viewed as the kind of player who could get tight to Harry Kane when he drops off into midfield because someone's got I to deal so. with him someone's got yeah. to deal with him and I and I think it will be Pablo Murray I mean famous last words I'll probably be wrong but I think it will be and I think uh, in theory he's maybe the most suited to go and do that uh, I, you know I think he's been very good actually I, it's an interesting thing at centre half we've got options there and there's not a huge amount between them I don't think. Um, it's a shame that Marie and Gabrielle are both left-footed, in a really? way. You think they're the best too, yeah? Well, I mean, look, I, I try as I might, I cannot watch David Luiz without fear. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah. not possible. I, I, you know... Uh, You're only human. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> after all. So, you know, 
it's it's really difficult not to worry about Louise. And I don't quite get the same sense of uh, panic when I watch Pablo Marie and when I watch Gabrielle. And maybe that's because they haven't played that much. But also, it's because they haven't made the same amount of mistakes and calamitous errors at the back that David Luiz has in the 18 months that he has been an Arsenal player. You know, there's there's a yeah. reason why it, my heart is in my mouth when Luiz plays. And, you know, somebody made a really good description of him. I apologize. I can't remember. I saw it on Twitter last night and I can't remember who it was, but the, the, the essence of it was that, that David Luiz is a, he's a footballer who plays at the back rather than a defender. Do you know what I mean? I think that's yeah, a that's really, absolutely right. really, really perfect description of, of Louise. Um, whereas I think Marie and Gabrielle are defenders first. You know, holding as a defender first. Um, what Louise can give you on the ball in terms of possession and all of that kind of stuff, maybe the others can't quite do that. Uh, but I think in part that explains why, you know, he has, you know, his defensive instincts aren't the 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 first thing for David mm-hmm. Luiz. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. He can have, as we've seen, he can have a great game at the back sometimes in certain scenarios. But I guess because he is so gifted technically and talented, he's probably got away with more in the course of his career than certain other centre-halves. You know, he probably hasn't had to maybe focus quite as hard on some aspects of the game or maybe they just don't come as naturally to him I, I think as well one of the yeah, I mean that's a good point I think when you're younger you can get away with more because you can recover better in games right physically. than when you're 33 34 yeah that's true and we have seen the mistakes uh, in terms of errors and sending off you know stats wise they've definitely escalated in the last few mm. years that could just be the the influence of Arsenal on a player um I mean, Simon Collins made a point, actually. It wasn't a question, but it was just in a sort of discussion we were having on Twitter last night where he said it's quite weird how Holding's gone from playing every minute to not featuring. It It is quite curious, isn't it's, it? It's happened quite fast. Yeah, I mean, he had those... Um, he had that... I think, you know, we're talking about the goals that we concede as mistakes. And, and look, the one that everyone... The mistake that people point to for the Villa goal was Cedric leaving a pass short, but also holding was a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know what he did there? And was it holding uh, for the Man City goal as well, I think, was culpable? Yeah. Um, Sterling, you know, when yeah, you, yeah, yeah. When you get uh, let Raheem Sterling rise above you to head home <laughs> in the penalty yeah. box as a central defender, you're not doing your job right. We well, had but, time to get out his stepladder, didn't he? Yeah, he did, all right. You know, so it is one of those weird things because, you know, he played a lot of games, gets a new contract, and now he's not playing at all. Um, you know, maybe he'll play against... Maybe he'll play against Spurs. I don't know. How much can you keep asking of Louise? Um, you know, he, he does have those 33-year-old legs. Um, but at the moment, he it seems that he is the he's the preferred choice on the right-hand side of the defence. Mm. So, But I think it will be Marie against Spurs. Uh, in terms of other things, about how we approach it... Uh, it's just tricky, isn't it? I mean, you know, Jason Mourinho teams historically are problematic for Arsenal. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, are we overdue a win against a Mourinho team? I think we are. I quite fancy Arsenal, actually, I have to say. Maybe it's just the sort of elation of uh, last night's result. 
and the drugs. Clouding my judgment. And all the drugs you're on right now. And all the many, many drugs um, that I'm not on. That you're not on because you... According to my CBC uh, yes, contract. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, how do you feel at this early stage? I know you'll probably be doing a preview. Are you doing a preview? Part? I think we'll do a preview part. I have to talk to Lewis about when exactly we're going to do it. We might do it later or we might do it tomorrow. We'll, we'll see what the story is. Just let a little bit of dust settle on this one. Can you give me a preview of the preview pod? How are you feeling? Um, I am not feeling as confident as you are simply because I cannot shake the the idea that however good they are up top and they are and we know they've got players who score a lot of goals mm. and however problematic Mourinho teams have been to us down the years I just can't I've just got so much fear about what we're going to do to ourselves mm. I really do I mean I know we won last night I know we're scoring more goals if we can score some goals against Spurs brilliant but I, I you know I want to be Wrong, you know. I want to, yeah, talk to you on Monday morning, and for it to be a very goodly morning indeed, with some kind of special jingle that I would have to make uh, if if that were to come to pass, right? Yeah. I I want that for me, for you, for all of us listening to this. But I, I just can't, I I can't see how it's going to happen. That's all. We shall see. We, we shall, shall see. see. Derby day is always a scary one. It is, and that's part of it as well. That is part um, of it as well. Um, I've got this question. Go on. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, this question comes from John Stones, not the Manchester City centre half, um, which is a shame. At Stonesy Ten on Twitter, it's quite general, but they just ask, "What are your thoughts on Thomas so far? He seems to show glimpses of talent, but in the last two games, has been targeted for the press and has looked quite lethargic." and lacking urgency. Like, I don't think he's fully fit yet, for sure. Um, he has been a bit more, I won't say careless in, in possession, but there were a few times last night he gave it away, and he did as well against Burnley. Um, look, I think in terms of talent, he's our best midfield player. It's hard to get to your best level when you're in and out of a team. You know, and you're trying to adjust to the Premier League, a new country, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm. So I'm not particularly worried. I, uh, like I said earlier, I think the the early substitution, well, wasn't well. It might have been tactical in the sense that that Arteta wanted to get minutes into his legs, and wanted to ensure that he was perhaps more fit for Tottenham. You know, well, it was the Spurs game, of course. Mm that he went down in, wasn't it? It was, uh, yeah. Went down and, and have got a very pushed back on. Yeah. Midfield, you know, with uh, Hoybier and, and Dombele, if he plays, Sissoko, mm. they're a very physical side. And we could do with Thomas Partey, I think, mm. in that match. How do you feel about the signing kind of more generally? I mean, you know, some of the concerns when it happened were surrounding his age and, you know, the size of the fee. Well, it was yeah. to do with resale value more than his age. He's in his prime value. as a player, you know. Um, I, I, I suppose what I mean is if you've got, you know, three years or four years of prime Thomas Partey, um, the first year's not been hugely productive, has it? No, no. But 
would you rather have him than not? Given our yeah, midfield options, I, I, you know, I, I, def- I definitely would, and I think he's a. I think he's like I agree with you. He's our best midfield player. I just think in recent weeks, I guess maybe probably because of the injuries and his absence, I've kind of pondered. Mm. You know, had we gone for like the more creative attacking midfielder option, if we could have found one in the summer, how might that have impacted our season differently? Given that it took until Christmas for us to kind of Smith trust yeah. Smith Rowe with those ranks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's an interesting I, one. It's it is an interesting one. But look, you know, hopefully between now and the end of the season, he can stay fit and, and get himself up to his his best level. And hopefully he can start to show a bit of that on uh, Sunday in the Derby. would be very... Yeah, and, and just on his sort of passing and stuff, I, personally, I don't think he's ever going to be like a he passed at 93% guy because I think he... A, he takes more risks on the ball than some of our other midfield players. Mm-hmm. Um, and that incurs a bit of, you know, jeopardy and means you might lose it. And I just don't think as well that he's... He's just not quite that sort of footballer, you know. I think he, he's not um, the metronomic kind of influence. I think he's more mm. someone who's looking to make things happen. And last night, I actually thought he was almost... There were points where I could see he was really pushing to make things happen. Like he took a couple of shots on that maybe he didn't need to, but I just felt there was a kind of uh, a desperation to impact the game, you know, we were, uh, which we're, is positive. We were having a little joke, a little WhatsApp uh, group I'm in with some friends. And before the game kicked off, I don't know if you noticed this or would have taken note of it, but behind the goal, there was a great big net you know, as there is often for European away fixtures, you, you, you watch the game through a net because, you know, you might throw something on the pitch, of course. And uh, one of the lads said, yeah, well, you know, it's a good job that net is there for, you know, catching Thomas Partey's shots. And, <laughs> and after about 10 minutes, he had a shot which just went about 10 miles over the bar. So it is an area of his game he could use, he could work on. Maybe he needs to do some uh, some sessions with Steve Round, Steve him Round. and Big Mo cracking shots at Runerson from 35 yards just to give them, you know, that, that extra bit of confidence as each, <laughs> each one goes in. Yeah. Um, let me just ask you this one before we go. go um, it's from Daniel Foreman, uh, who's at Danny Foreman on Twitter. He says, why is rotational fouling so tolerated in football? In rugby, deliberate foul play is a straight sin bin or a red, but football just seems to accept is uh, it's part of the game, even though it's so fundamentally anti-football. Maybe a yellow eventually just incentivizes it. Good question. Uh, it's a problem we are encountering quite a lot, especially because Saka. I think... It might be a product of the transition football has made from being quite a high contact sport to a lower one. And so the sort of the laws of the game are kind of set up for you to be able to play it quite physically, but it's sort of not anymore. And a lot of these fouls kind of fall in the gap between those two things. That's a really, that that makes a lot of sense. I'd never thought of that. And that's a really excellent point yeah I think that might be it but Mm. it it, it does is something that needs to be addressed because the modern game is you know not especially high intensity of contact I mean there is there is there is a um, a talent almost now isn't there in buying fouls in winning fouls Gabrielle Mm -hmm. did it last night Granit Xhaka does it commendably well where Mm -hmm. he sort of gets his body between the ball and the the player and 
uh, invites contact, goes down and wins a free kick, which eases the pressure and lets you reset. That kind of thing yeah. is, it's a tactical thing in a way. There's going to be a stat line for it in Football Manager soon, surely, mm-hmm. you know, like the uh, cynicism, 20. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it is part of the game. And it's interesting. I feel like there are still kind of loopholes that are being exploited. I mean, the, the obvious one that came in a few years ago was the tactical fouls high up the field, you know, to stop counterattacks. And there was a time where you could get away with that pretty straightforwardly and go unpunished. Now, a lot of the time, it is clamped down on with a booking. But the rotational foul is sort of a new, a more recent loophole that still needs to Yeah. I mean, I think there are, we're looking at it, you know, we could talk about Saka in this one because it's happened a lot in the last few weeks and it's worrying because sooner or later one of those tackles is going to be just mistimed enough to cause him mm-hmm. a serious injury and yeah. it'll be a fucking crying shame if and when that happens. Um, so I think there is... You know, there needs to be an awareness of when a player is being targeted. And Saka was targeted last night. You could see it. There was a period of about 15 minutes where he was subjected to a number of fouls. And I think that's probably something that needs to be discussed, you know, at officiating level, refereeing level, where if they can identify that kind of thing is going on, where they're, you know, trying to kick a player out of the game... I mean, I'm sure people will say it's been happening to the best players for for since time immemorial, right? Yeah, the good yeah. players get kicked. That is the reality. But it's also something that needs to be addressed. And I do wonder if something like a sin bin uh, option might be a way of, of addressing that. Like the fouls themselves, they might be small, they might be insignificant, they might be cynical, but they're not necessarily yellow or red card fouls. But after two or three on one particular player, the next one, regardless of the severity of the foul, is going to spend 10 minutes in the sin bin, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting because the best players do get fouled a lot. But sometimes those fouls are just because the player's too good. You know, they take the ball away from the defender mm. at the last minute. You know, um, and that was Jack Wilson's problem, I think, actually, that he was a very, very good dribbler and a very brave dribbler. And it meant that he ended up in scenarios where he moved the ball and his legs were what went instead. Yeah. Um, with Saka, it feels a bit more cynical than that. It's not so much yeah. a case of mistimed challenges. It's a case of, you know, can we foul the guy to dampen his impact on the match? And yeah, I, I, a Simbin's an interesting idea. How would you actually apply it? Would it be just, you know, would it be like four rotational fouling? So if a player is fouled X number of... I don't know. How, how I don't know. It? I mean, there's probably a, a, a lot more thought needs to go into this. Um, what, just you and me on a podcast. Just me and you on a podcast. Yeah, fundamental change to the laws of the game might think- require. <laughs> although, given you know what they've done with the handball uh, rule, I think we could have done a better job of that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wonder what would be sin bin offenses. Um, I think there's probably something to be said as well for. Let me think of an example. Okay. Gabriel against Southampton, right? Yeah. Where he got a red card, and I think it was really harsh. The the mm. the first 
uh, yellow, I think. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was a yellow card. And I remember saying at the time that I was a bit worried about him, you know, his next foul. But the sort of foul that he made on Theo Walcott, I mean, it's barely a yellow card. And it's certainly not sufficient to reduce a team to 10 men for the rest of the game. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. yellow and red card should be to stop serious foul play and and that kind of stuff, you know, for the mm-hmm. most part. So maybe in that scenario, Gabriel doesn't get a yellow card. He gets an orange card and goes and spends 10 minutes in a sin bin. You know, right. something yeah. even something like the, the David Luiz one against Wolves. Yeah. You know, that was, okay, if it's a penalty, I'm not going to relitigate the whole thing, but if you consider that a penalty, I mean, does a team really deserve to go down to 10 men for for that? You know, if he chopped him down, by all means. But that kind of thing, you know, there there are uh, incidents to which I think the sin bin rule could fairly easily be applied. And now we've got it worked out. Perfect. Okay, great. Well, just call Arsene at FIFA, let him know. Yeah, we'll, we'll do. get that in writing. I'll give him a buzz in the afternoon. Going to have some okay. lunch first, though, I think. <laughs> All right. Um, we had better leave it there. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. Keep everything crossed for the weekend, that we can do the business in the Derby on Sunday. Whatever happens, whether the morning is goodly or badly, we'll be with you on Monday to talk about it. Uh, we will have a preview pod for Patreon members. Not entirely sure when, but it will be out over the weekend at some point. So until the next one. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 